0: by 40,000 bees, Matt. What would you do with them? That's future me's problem. <laughs> we'll, figure it, we'll figure it out. So welcome to Creature Crunch, the show where we take a monster and we steal food from him until he's pissed off enough to fight your players. My name is Matt. And I'm a big weird frog in a tree. And today is the second week of Mayomul Toro month. Yep. I shouldn't add the month. That was unnecessary. Yeah. It's, it, it, yeah. it's the But the second week... Um and this week we are covering Pan's Labyrinth.
1: Ah oh, shit, I watched a Labyrinth del Fon.
0: I have good news for you, Chris. Oh good. Okay. So um Yeah, I guess this is what this is the one that, that put Del Toro's name on the map. Yeah, yeah, just this in, like, catapulted right? Yeah. So yeah. And with good reason, a for good movie. sure. I mean this is <laughs> good movie. A baller movie. Like Spoilers abound. Uh, which is kind of important for this one, I think. If I think you haven't so. seen Patton's Labyrinth, what are you doing with your life? Watch that movie. It's a good movie. Um, although you will not be able to find it English dubbed. No. So, before um, before making any of his movies, Del Toro tends to jot down notes and doodles for his projects, um, which he does over the course of years, before eventually turning them into a script. Um Evidently, he actually uh, lost the notebook with all of the bits for Pan's Labyrinth oh, in a really? British cab. Yeah, that sucks. He was, sucks. <laughs> he, was he, he forgot that it was there and he left and the cab drove away. Um, but evidently the cabbie eventually found the notebook and, like, there was some stuff in there that he was able to track down Del Toro's hotel, and he was able to return it to Del Toro. Oh, dang. Um. And uh, Del Toro took this as kind of a miraculous sign to move forward with the with the project and yeah. make the danged thing. So well, that's good. That's way to go, Cabby. You yeah. have single handedly
1: saved one of my favorite movies. Yeah. I yeah. Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah,
0: from what I was reading, Del Toro tipped well. I bet. <laughs> but um, movie opens, we get heavy breathing and humming. It's insane. Spain. In It's Spain, 1944. 1944. (laughs) That's the only time
1: you get that sort of breathing.
0: Yep, short. (laughs) It's the Spain, 1944 heavy breathing. Yep. That is common to the area. And the time. Spaniards, you guys know. And (laughs) we see our protagonist, uh, or at least the girl who would be our protagonist, uh, Ophelia, laying on some stone and just bleeding everywhere, not looking great. Yeah, I'm sure
1: this is gonna have like no bearing for the end of this movie.
0: Yeah, no, she'll be fine. Yeah, uh, you see the blood sucking back into her nose. It's fine. Mm-hmm. She's okay. <laughs> she she reversed that.
1: Yep. It's like when you when you get bloodied in D and D, and then you get healed a little bit, and all the blood sucks right back
0: into your body. That's exactly what's happening. Yeah, Somebody's yeah. casting cure wounds on her. Right. <laughs> and she'll she'll be okay. She'll be up back up. She's only got what maybe one death failed death saving throw. She's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> then we get a voiceover that kind of. Starts the whole theme of this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, It's not a secret that this movie is a fairy tale, and everything about it, layered upon layered, is fairy tale tropes mm-hmm. and fairy tale themes. Um, and this voiceover uh, kind of establishes that by telling us about another world, an underworld, where a princess lived, and she dreamed of the human world. And she eventually escaped imprisonment, because that's she was imprisoned, apparently. Apparently. And she escaped and made it to the surface, but the sunlight erased her memory. Because that's what the sun does. It does. <laughs> ask any beastie white guy. Every time I leave the house, I immediately forget why I left. <laughs> yeah, it, it also... The sun also has the effect of making me mortal and making me die. Oh, is that what it, that what it is? That's what it is. And that's what happened here. <laughs> yeah, if it weren't for the sun, we'd all be immortal. <laughs> Just ask any vampire. That was last week. <laughs> but, uh, yeah... Uh, she became mortal, and she died. Bummer. Yep. The end. Yeah, that's a quick movie. <laughs> yeah, quick, quick fairy tale. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand where the labyrinth came in, but... <laughs> hey. Hey, where's this pan I always hear about? Yeah. <laughs> um, the king believed, though, that she would be reincarnated. He he loved his daughter, despite the fact that she was in prison. I don't really understand that. It's fairy tale logic. Mm-hmm. And, um... And, yeah, the, uh, the king believed that she'd be reincarnated one day and return. Um... And it, it, at this point, I want to say, of course, this is our first 100% foreign film. Right. Like, even uh, last week's um, Cronos, had, yeah, Kronos yeah, had uh, English lines. Yeah, yeah. You
1: had uh, Mr.
0: Perlman yeah, speaking Mr. in English Mr. for Mr. most Perlman of us. <laughs> right. But uh, in this one, of course, it was 100% right. in Spanish. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, this is something I didn't know, uh, Del Toro wrote the subtitles himself. Mm -hmm. after being very unhappy with how the subtitles were handled for his previous movie, The Devil's Backbone. Okay. That makes sense. Yep. Um, Additionally, uh, Del Toro has refused American producer offers to make a dubbed version of this film. Good. Producers have all but offered him double the budget of the movie to do (laughs) that, and Del Toro has been adamant about no he wants to preserve the artistic integrity
1: well yeah it, and it I mean it's a film about a very specific time and place and if they would dub it like even for like to make it easier to for non-spanish speakers to understand it would take a lot from the movie uh uh-huh. i just think of like the when they did the uh the dubs of the G- of the ghibli films like in the early aughts and they're not terrible. But they relied so much on stunt casting and stuff like that for the
0: voices that it's just weird. Um, after this narration, uh, we find Ophelia, the, uh, the aforementioned little girl. She's alive. Good for uh, and, her. And doing great. Yeah. Uh, and she's in a car reading a fairy tale. I'm sure her.
1: everything's going to go great for her throughout this entire movie. Yep, probably. Um, it's a fairy tale. What could possibly go wrong?
0: And her, uh, her pregnant mother um, is with her and is getting car sick and asks mm-hmm. to pull over. Uh, and we learn that her mother we we learn over the course of the movie how severe this is because it's apparently not just a case of car sickness it's yeah yeah it's something like her mother is seriously ill um her mother keeps telling her that it's uh, that it's uh, the baby causing the problems yeah, which yeah. isn't necessarily true but there there are problems in this pregnancy and her mother is yeah. having issues Um, Ophelia is played by, uh, Ivana Baquero, who is, uh, who was more recently in the 2021 holiday horror movie, Black Friday. Okay. (laughs) Which I thought interesting. Um, that is not like most of the actors in this movie. I didn't really take a whole lot of notes as to what other movies they've been in because they're mostly Spanish.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Actors. I was like trying to think of like Black Friday. as like, okay, no, that's Black Christmas that just came out. (laughs) And that's a really good movie. Is this the one about the zeppelin crashing into the the Super Bowl? No, that's Black Sunday. <laughs> Which one's this? <laughs> I
0: haven't seen this one. This this one is a uh, it's a holiday horror movie about uh, Black Friday shoppers who are actually zombies. Okay, sure. Like when you when you read the premise of it and you start looking at the trailer, you think it might be a comedy. It's not. It's not. Okay. <laughs> it's not. I mean, it, it might be like kind of a dark a satire comedy. type thing. But... Maybe. But they they play it pretty straight. It doesn't okay. look terrible, I'll say that. Okay, but, Sure. <laughs> but like I, I mean, said, she's most, she's good in this movie. So. She's good in this movie. Um she's a lot older in the in Black Friday, obviously. Oh yeah, I mean uh, <laughs> this came out
1: in two thousand and six. I would hope she's a little older by now. She
0: she has age, she is not a that, vampire. That is
1: how linear time works.
0: Yeah, she was exposed to the sunlight and therefore became mortal and grew up. Oh Jesus Christ. Um <laughs> But yeah, like I said, I in in most of these actors I didn't really take note too much right. note about where they're from and anything because that's not our wheelhouse. They're all from, you know, Spanish movies. Yeah. Every now and then though there is one where it's like, oh, they started making American movies and Ophelia here, uh or excuse me, Ivana is uh is one of these. Yeah. <laughs> so while they're while they're stopped letting her mother have her deal, um Ophelia kind of wanders away and she finds a little neat little rock mm-hmm. and it turns out it goes to a statue nearby. Yeah, it,
1: it looks like part of a Resident Evil puzzle. Yeah, it does. <laughs> She's gonna. There's like, a lot of that. In there's this a movie. lot of that. Yeah, she's gonna like pop that rock in, and it's gonna open a door somewhere, and like close a gate somewhere else. And she's gonna have to keep popping it in and out while she hunts for the
0: rooster key. And yeah, but no, no. Instead, this one summons a bug.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a Del Toro
0: movie. That's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. Big old, big old bug comes crawling out of the statue. Big mat. like mantis looking, like a mantis dude? grasshopper thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she calls it a fairy. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Because I mean. She's she's not particularly upset by it. At no, all. I would be. I know you would be. But uh, she she's pretty enchanted by it, and and uh, it flies away, and they eventually get back into the into the uh, car and continue on their way. And we learn that she is headed to a mill to meet her her new father her her stepfather. stepfather. Yeah. Um. We learn later on that uh, her actual dad, a tailor, was killed during the Spanish Civil War, mm-hmm. and. Uh, her mother, who is, uh, uh, her mother, met this captain. Yeah, got with him, and he he got her prayers, and they're going to go meet him. Um, so her mother is imploring her that she call the captain father. You know. Yeah, and we learn, uh, th- this captain, his, uh, captain Vidal, is um not is to be pretty- confused with Captain Vidal. Correct. He was very different. She's... And not in this movie. <laughs> She's not featured in this not movie. Not featured in this
1: movie, and with most s- of Dragon Ball.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <in> most. Yeah, <laughs> they, they popped yeah. a kid in her, and she vanished. <laughs> yep. But yeah, Captain Vidal is this uh, is the stepfather, and he's kind of upset that they're late. They're like fifteen minutes late. And when he meets the kids, or when he meets excuse <laughs> the kids, <laughs> the kids. When he meet, when he meets with his family. Um, He seems to be very protective of the unborn son Uh and pretty dismissive of everybody else. Yeah. Uh, In Spanish, when addressing two or more women, um, it's typical to say, uh, Bienvenidos. In the presence of any man or boy, they would uh, instead switch it out to the masculine, Buenavidos. And when Captain Vidal meets with Ophelia and her pregnant mother, uh, Carmen, uh, he says, Bienvenidos. uh, Which... Pretty much indicates that he Mm -hmm. is a lot more interested in the unborn son. Um, And Captain Vidal is played by Sergey Lopez, who's known as more of a comedic actor in Mexico. Um, And the producers told Del Toro that nobody would take him seriously in the role. And they didn't really think that Del Toro understood that. And Del uh, (laughs) Del Toro retorted to them like, it's not that I don't understand it. It's that I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> like,
1: like producers are gonna learn to stop fucking with with <laughs> Del Toro, man. Yeah. Like,
0: yeah, he's just like <laughs> he's like I don't give a shit. This man is. I yeah. cast him the way he is, and uh, and part of it was he he required uh he required Sergey to speak in a lower octave um, than he usually does, mm-hmm. and to also deliver his lines with a lot less emotion.
1: Yeah, and it he's got a,
0: like this flat rumble voice. Yeah, and it creates a very intimidating character. It does, it does. <laughs> so, But uh, while he tends to his wife and unborn son, Ophelia notices the bug sitting nearby and she tries to catch it and kind of chases it into some sort of ruin that uh, we learn is the labyrinth. Yeah, It is the titular labyrinth. Yeah,
1: and here's something that is very important to note uh, in between in the title of the movie. There's a difference between a labyrinth and a maze. Okay. A labyrinth has one way through. There's no branching paths. It's a, str- it's, it has twists and turns, but there's one path from the outside to the center. Okay. A maze has branching paths.
0: Like multiple, yes, multiple solutions. Mul- not just multiple solutions, or... but dead
1: ends and stuff oh, like oh, that. Oh, a
0: labyrinth doesn't have no, dead ends. It is one path that you have to traverse. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. And that is why
1: calling this movie a labyrinth is very... Important. Very important and very purposeful.
0: All right. Yeah. Because I, I, there
1: is one path through the movie.
0: I honestly did not know that. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, I looked that up to make sure I was correct. Cool. Was. <laughs> Ooh, trivia for, for all y'all. Um, and here we meet uh, Mercedes, mm-hmm. who is... Uh, a car? that <laughs> Miss Benz here is uh, sen- Senorita Benz is uh take that podcast I'll bring you to a screeching halt. <laughs> um, but Mercedes is the basically the handmaiden to uh to Captain Vidal. She's the, the attendant, the yeah. She's attendant. like the the head of the house staff or something like that. something like that. Yeah, yeah. and uh, there's she... a pretty sizable like house staff at this place. It is. It is. Well, it's. It's also got a lot more soldiers than you would think that are there. Like, there's well, a it, lot of soldiers here, but it's just, like, one mill. <laughs> it's one mill, and, they, like, they're turning it into
1: a supply depot. So mm. it's, like, it's... I can see why there's so many there, like, when they do that. But at the start, it's just, like, no, there's just a bunch of soldiers here, like, literally milling about. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, but Mercedes meets with uh, Ophelia. They, the two of them immediately kind of build a rapport mm-hmm. um and uh throughout the next few scenes we learn that mercedes is like she's really close to the captain and the captain is you know they're, they're all of these soldiers are there um are contending with uh some republican rebels that are in the woods nearby that have been kind of harassing the town and mm-hmm. this mill yeah and the captain is trying to put an end to them but Mercedes, we learn, uh, her brother is the leader of these rebels, or at least in these rebels, and she is kind of an in, an inside informant.
1: Yeah, there's a couple of
0: well, yeah, people who are involved with the rebels. Yeah, she's tonight. she's the main one, um, working closest, like she's trying to get a mm-hmm. sneak peek at the map. Um, and uh, and Mercedes is played by Maribel Dadu, who has been cast as Barry Allen's mother in the upcoming Flash movie. Cool, good for her. Mm-hmm. She's also in a twenty eighteen Spanish movie called Super Lopez. Cool. Good for her. But yeah, as you as you said that she's uh hey, she's... Does that mean that Barry Allen's gonna be at
1: least half Spanish in the new movie? Hmm. Maybe. That'd be cool. Yeah.
0: Um I know nothing about the new Flash movie, basically, so. <laughs> same. Other than this. Yeah. This is the information I yeah. have. But um But uh, she's she's helping these rebels, and as you mentioned, there's somebody else mm-hmm. in the uh, in this little camp that is kind of working with her, uh, Dr. Ferriero, who uh, is kind of helping provide some medical supplies to be smuggled out, because we learn that one mm-hmm. of the rebels is wounded. Um, but while they're doing this, we see that Ophelia witnesses this transaction and begins putting two and two together pretty quickly, because uh, Ophelia is a smart girl. Yeah, she's, she's sharp. Mm-hmm. But she does retreat to her be- mother's bed for the night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... While she's laying there, uh, Carmen says that the baby is acting up again and asks Ophelia to tell her brother a story to calm him down. And she begins telling him one of her fairy tales. Because mm-hmm. uh, that's, again, the through line of the movie is fairy tales. She's obsessed. She likes reading fairy tales. Her father, or her stepfather, very much disapproves of this. Yeah, Like, later on, he even accuses her of if it basically filling her head with nonsense and, and others, uh, some such. But, um... And she tells this fairy tale about a rose that would grant eternal life, but it's surrounded by poisonous thorns, mm-hmm. uh, and nobody is brave enough to try and pick the rose, so instead it waited and wilted on the top of the mountain for eternity.
1: I'm sure that has, like, no relevance to the plot of this movie, Not or... At all. Yeah. Not at all. It was just a neat little story yeah, that yeah. Del Toro decided to, to, to wrench in here. Yeah. Um, He's known for that, for like having things that don't relate to the plot at all. Just yeah, completely. In the movie. Just, completely yeah. just
0: on a whim. Um, meanwhile, uh, Vidal is uh, in his room fixing a pocket watch, and uh, the room that he's in, his his quarters, uh, you see like a lot of the machinery and stuff from the mill in the background. But uh, according to Del Toro, um, it, it's meant to be look like he's inside the pocket watch. Okay, like that was the whole thing. He he is supposed to be so related to this pocket watch, as we learn later, uh, it was his father's pocket watch. And his father died in the war, mm-hmm. and at the moment of his death, he smashed it on a rock so that he, uh, telling whoever was with him, I don't, I, I, he he basically wanted his son to remember the time of his death.
1: Yeah, and and, and, and uh, Vidal is like obsessed with mm-hmm. with the story of his father. Yeah, um, to the point where he wants to mirror his like entire life, like yeah. On that.
0: Well, it, it, it's interesting because there's a lot of like you can tell that the. the Vidal is trying to live up to his father, but I, I got the distinct impression that he also kind of disdains his father a little bit. I mean, he's fixing the watch. Uh-huh. Uh, so he's... hes i the, What I got from this is that he is not just trying to like walk in his father's footsteps, but surpass. Yeah, yeah, I can him. definitely be, see that. Yeah, he wants to be better than his father, or, yeah. or greater, I should say.
1: And I'm noticing a lot of through lines in... Del Toro's movies as we've we watched them you got Bugs of course Bugs is definitely and Pocket Watches and wa- yeah. like Watches in general yeah like there was the whole thing in Chronos about the Alchemist becoming like the head watchmaker to the the ambassador to uh, Mexico and then the the Chronos device itself which is Clockwork mm-hmm. and I like I want to say cl- like Clockwork and Watches show up in some of his other
0: movies and yeah, it's those those are two very good through lines and also the heavy use of color. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, we mentioned that a little bit in The Shape of Water. Uh, I know for sure that in, in uh, Pacific Rim, color is a huge right. thing. And in this movie, uh, most of the movie is shot with a green, like, uh-huh. filter. Uh, because it's more representative of nature and, yeah, and yeah. things of that nature.
1: And also, fuck fascists. Like, that's another... Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, mean, I after... wonder why he thinks that. <laughs> Surely
0: nothing in his background. (laughs) No, no, no. Del Toro is... Not like having his father kidnapped or anything. uh. Captain Vidal is in his room. He's fixing this watch. And the doctor comes in to tell him that, you know, Carmen isn't doing so hot. Mm -hmm. Um, And he suggests that it probably wouldn't have been a good... It it was not a wise decision to have her travel so far this late in the pregnancy. Right. But Vidal does not care. He just wants to see his son born. Um, And... The doctor is like, how can you even be sure it's a boy? And Vidal is like, that is so beyond the realm of possibility in Vidal's mind. He's just yeah, like, no, yeah. it's going to be a boy. It's going to carry on my name. That's all there is to it. Like, the will of the universe is going to conform to this. Yeah, yeah. So that night, some soldiers apprehend an old man and his son, um, a, a couple of farmers, uh, suspecting of them to be rebels mm-hmm. and the, the son is standing there pleading with Vidal to release his father you know he, I'm I'm a uh, we're, we're farmers we, he was out rabbit hunting please let us go and Vidal gets so angry that he just beats the man's the, the boy's face God. in with a bottle of alcohol and then shoots his father yeah like it's a pretty brutal scene it really and, is uh, another one of those things that Del Toro totally didn't actually uh, uh, base off of an event in his life <laughs> yeah really. he, uh, he evidently um when he was younger, he and a friend of his got into a street fight, and while he was getting his butt kicked, he looked over, and the uh, the aggressors were had a bottle, and they were hitting his friend's oh, face with Jesus. it, and the bottle wasn't breaking, so it was allowing them to continue beating him.
2: Oh so that's God. kind
0: of what inspired this gruesome scene. God. Yep. Um, after killing the two, uh, he Vidal investigates the rest of their belongings and learns that they were telling the truth.
2: Yeah.
0: They got a dead of, rabbit in there. Yeah, a bunch of rabbits. Um, meanwhile, Ophelia is woken up by the sound of the bug. It it kind of crawls up onto her. She shows it a picture of a fairy, and it turns itself into one. Mostly. Mostly. Still got bug face. It's got bug face, bug sounds. Yeah. But it's a fairy. Um, And it leads her back to the labyrinth, where uh, she finds a staircase descending down into the earth... Um, in at the center, and there she meets a fawn who believes that she is the reincarnation of the underworld princess, Moana. Yeah. And, you know, uh, from, from the Disney movie. The Disney movie. Yeah, yeah. Moana, uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Do, do, shiny. Do, do, shiny. Now, while, uh, while the fawn, of course, bears a resemblance to Pan of Greek mythology, mm-hmm. and, of course, is what in... Only a select few countries is named after the movie, like English, in English, um, or in America. I think in Germany, Germany, mm-hmm. and there, there's a few other uh, English-speaking countries and other countries that the movie is named known as Pan's Labyrinth, right? Because they figured that audiences would connect more to that Greek mythological figure than just a fawn, right? But yeah. as you as you made a joke earlier, yeah, it's Labyrinth of the Fawn everywhere else, exactly because. This ain't Pan, has no. nothing to do with Pan.
1: He, and like he's credited as being Pan, like, everywhere. On IMDB he's credited as Pan. And it's like, he's not. That's not no. Pan. No, he's, it, he's, he's not. He's a fawn. He's yeah. not related to the Greek mythology at all.
0: Yeah, Del Toro Del Toro had briefly considered using, like or at least when when asked about that, he didn't want to use Pan because Pan is a little bit more of a uh, free spirit.
1: Yeah, no. He, <laughs> and uh, he's a fuckboy.
0: <laughs> and yeah, and Del Toro did not feel comfortable with incorporating that in a right. story related to a te- an 11 year old girl. Right. So, yeah, yeah. so good for you, Del Toro. <laughs> but um, and this fawn is actually more based off of uh, a series of dreams that Del Toro had as a child. He moves very strangely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he moves like a tree. Yeah. He moves like as if a tree suddenly started moving. Uh-huh. And then, of course, uh, the fawn is played by, at least acted by, Doug Jones. Right. The, the ever-amazing Doug Jones. He's
1: just so good. Mm-hmm. Like, Doug Jones should be in every movie. Even ones that don't include monsters, just have a monster somewhere for Doug Jones to be.
0: <laughs> Doug Jones doesn't speak Spanish, or at least he definitely didn't when this movie was being made. Uh, so he he was actually forced to memorize his own lines... Uh-huh. In Spanish, because like even though um, even though the Fawn's voice he's voiced by somebody else, I didn't notate who because again Spanish actors. Right. But um, even though he was he was voiced by somebody else, he still had to have the mouth movements down. Mm-hmm. So he would read the lines, and he had to memorize his own lines. But he also had to um, memorize Ivana's lines in order to know when to hit so, his
1: cues. Yeah, so he could respond to them.
0: Yep, or react to them, I should say. Yeah, so like I guess the makeup. Took like five hours to apply. Oh, I believe it. And the entire time, he was just sitting there trying to learn Spanish and how to <laughs> how to speak it. Although, from what I understand, the uh, the actor who voices um, the Fawn was very appreciative of this because it made his job and, of course, editing's job a lot easier. I bet, yeah. To to just kind of put that in afterwards. So, um, also the Fawn's legs More are weird. St- <laughs> they are weird, but uh, they're not CG. No, they're stilts. They're well, They're not stilts. Those are not stilts. They're not stilts. Uh, what That's they, Doug Jones' actual legs. <laughs> Those are they're Jones. They're just like that. <laughs> they're Doug Jones' actual factual legs. Science is baffled, but yeah. uh, he found the niche that he needed.
1: How, how his knees do that, scientists don't know.
0: <laughs> scientists hate him. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, no, he, uh, the suit was made to where he could actually stand there, and then the legs, like, protruded back from his legs... Uh, so basically, he's standing there, but then they digitally removed his legs from post in post.
1: Interesting. So, so he's like wearing a set of leg gaffs over his real legs, and then they just removed his actual legs.
0: Pretty much, um, yeah. I, like, uh, it's got to be
1: traumatic I, if that happens every day. I envision
0: it of a lot more sophisticated version of like people who dress as like a <laughs> like you know, the Halloween costumes where it's I'm a little walker or something, and then there's a cowboy sitting on top of it, but it's your legs. <laughs> It's your legs that are the walker's legs and the cowboy's legs are fake. You know, the, Yeah, you,
1: you know that classic Halloween costume, cowboy on a walker. <laughs> the
0: cowboy on a walker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cowboy riding
1: around on an ATST. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows
0: that one. You know. Yeah. You know. And yeah, they, they, they sell them. They're, it's right next to the cowboy on a walker but sexy costumes at, oh God. at Spirit Halloween.
1: <laughs> <coughs> the walker's wearing a bikini.
0: <laughs> the walker's wearing a bikini. And the cowboy is a cowgirl. <laughs> but not wearing a bikini. But not wearing a bikini. Wearing a cowboy outfit. Right, right, of course. <laughs> exactly. And the
1: walkers in heels.
0: You know... Yeah. <laughs> but they're fake heels, so they don't have to actually wear the heels. Yeah, right, like, they digitally <laughs> remove the legs of post. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and they've got, like, torn fishnets.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an ATSD. Uh, a... Traveling sexy thing.
0: <laughs> a traveling sexy thing. Yeah, an ATSD. That's the... Yeah, that's how they avoid the copyright infringement. Right. Um, it's parody. You know. <laughs> so anyway, the fawn tells... Uh, the fawn tells Ophelia that uh, she is the princess. And he can prove it because she has a mark on her left shoulder. That's, that's his yep. proof. But um, he explains that the King of the Underworld opened numerous portals around the world, and this labyrinth is the last one. Um, and he wants her to return to the Underworld, but before she can go, uh, she needs to prove that she didn't become mortal and that her essence is intact. Right. So he gives her the Book of Crossroads. It's uh, basically a big old book that is blank inside. Uh, and tells her that she has to complete three tasks before the next full mm-hmm. moon, and then she can return to, to the Underworld. Um, and, and this is where the idea of labyrinths is, comes into play. There's one way through
1: a labyrinth, there's one way for her to get back to the Underworld.
0: Yep. And then uh, this is also where you know you see a lot of the the, the fairy tale elements because mm-hmm. fairy tales are oftentimes associated with the, the rule of threes. You know, exactly. there's always yeah, three yeah. things, and this is this is no different. There are three tasks. That Someone's been take. listening to his "What the Folklore." I've been listening a lot. To, I've been listening to a lot of "What the Folklore," but to be fair, that's also something I knew before. <laughs> right, right, so, right, right, right. <laughs> but uh, but then then uh, the fawn, he leaves. So the next day, when she's alone, Ophelia opens the book, and it magically fills and illustrates with. Uh, a very fairy tale esque
2: mm-hmm.
0: instead of instructions, essentially. But before she can read it, she's interrupted. Because um, the fawn tells her that uh, she can only read the book when she's alone. Yeah, yeah. She's not allowed to open it when when there's others there. Well, she I, I get the feeling
1: or, if she opens it when anyone else is around, it'll just be blank like it was the first time.
0: Right. Um, but, but while she's getting ready for a bath, she notices the crescent-shaped moon on, like, birthmark on her shoulder. And, mm-hmm. And uh, she's pretty much bought into the whole story at this point. Uh, we see Captain Vidal is locking up the storeroom. And uh, he has Mercedes give him the key to it. He, he you know puts a big padlock on it and asks her, like, is this the only copy? She, which which she tells, yes. Yeah. Um, and then he immediately heads off with his soldiers to a, uh, they see like a, a, a smoke. smoke. Yeah. yeah, they see smoke in the mountain. So they head out to, to investigate because they're pretty sure that's a rebel campfire. And they eventually find the campfire and determine that, uh, like Vidal puts on his Sherlock pants. <laughs> yeah, he like constructs his mental palace and is
1: like looking around at everything and like smelling the dirt and the. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why the, they were in here? The ashes. Not
1: but twenty minutes ago, Watson. Uh, yeah, were...
0: no more than a dozen men. and <laughs> They're still here. <laughs>
1: and then he shouts at him for a while.
0: Yep. But uh, more importantly, he finds the remains of the medical supplies yeah, he that is a little ampule. Yeah, he 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 finds this little like vial of the of um, um antibiotics that Mercedes smuggled out. Um meanwhile though, Ophelia steals away and reads the book. Yeah. Officially and it tells well, her
1: Before we go back to Ophelia though, we get our first look at like the rebel group themselves when they like emerge true. from the forest. Yeah. And the head uh uh gorilla guy Looks like somebody tw- took Dwayne Johnson and shrunk him down,
0: <laughs> like a pee wee Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this? Dare I invoke the name Dwayne the Pebble Johnson? No, <laughs> I mean, that's somebody different. Entirely. That's somebody different. He's, he's, he's still a stone. <laughs> he's a stone. Um, so is this? Is this like Dwight the the <laughs> Dwight the Riverstone Johansson? Johansson. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Uh, okay. Um, I just, he, like,
1: just his face, like, looked an awful lot like Dwayne Johnson. And I, I, like, see,
0: I didn't. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was just me. I was yeah. very tired. Whatever. doesn't matter. You know Chase your bliss, Chris. I don't care. <laughs> My bliss was Dwayne Johnson. All right. Apparently. <laughs> there are worse blisses to have. Yeah, but Jungle Cruise is not very good. <laughs> Jungle Cruise isn't very good. A lot of people like it. I don't understand it. It's not very good, man. It's not good. But there's a lot of other things that he's done that are good. It's true. He was like in Doom. Rampage. <laughs> Rampage was a lot of fun.
1: I know a lot of people who don't like Rampage, so... I know,
0: we are, we are establishing ourselves with those two statements. Yeah, I know. Like, Jungle <laughs> Cruise is bad, Rampage is good. Doom is okay. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Whoa now! Whoa. It's, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. It's got let's, some fun
1: scenes, but it's not good.
0: Let's pull the reins back now, Chris. <laughs> We're going to start getting at odds and eat each other. Fucking... <laughs> like Doom is the first, Doom is the only movie I ever snuck into, by the way, in theaters. That's hilarious. <laughs> a friend of mine. Wasn't worth it. it. Oh no, hell no. Were you is that why you don't like it because you're sitting there the entire time thinking you're gonna get thrown out? No, 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 no. So we, we a friend of mine and I saw it when when it came out in All theaters, right. and then like later that week we loved it so much, we're like, we're gonna go see it again and my friend's like, Hey, they don't really check tickets this late at night on a Thursday. We can just walk in, and we did, <laughs> so we got to see that movie a second time. For free. Oh, man. (laughs) And that's the last time I ever saw it. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, anyway, um, (laughs) this fairy tale that that Ophelia reads, it tells of a huge fig tree that sheltered the guardians of the forest, but a huge toad has taken residence Mm -hmm. amongst its roots, and it's now dying. Um, And the book instructs Ophelia to place three magical stones in its mouth to retrieve a golden key in its belly... Which will save the tree. Um, we see her, like, that night they were they were planning a big, like, fancy dinner party, mm-hmm. and she got new duds for it. Um, her mother is really excited about Ophelia's new dress and shoes, like, basically, like, you know, I, in my youth, I would never be able to even afford something half right. as good as this. You know, these are, this is really important. But now we see Ophelia just muddying up her fancy new shoes, and she... She takes her dress off and leaves it kind of hanging on a branch nearby so that she can crawl into this cave under the tree. And there's a lot more bugs. A lot more bugs. A lot of more bugs and mud. Yeah, this is a gross cave. Yep. And she uh, she finds the toad. And I guess originally this scene was supposed to have, like, they built this huge set of, of this massive, like, underground tree root thing. Uh-huh. Um, where the toad was supposed to be but like last minute del toro was looking at it and going like oh wait this toad's supposed to be huge and this this set dwarfs the toad ah so in two days they had to build this tiny little tunnel to house the toad in just so that it would be a big toad instead of just a a toad in a big room (laughs) I mean
1: he's a big toad but he's not like a giant giant toad toad. he's just kind of weirdly large yep
0: (laughs) He's like the size of a dog or something. <laughs> um, she tricks it into eating the stones by hiding one of these big bugs amongst them. After first attempting to shame the toad. <laughs> she's like, aren't
1: you ashamed to live down here oh. eating uh, bugs while the tree above you dies? And the toad just stares at her. <laughs> she's like, okay, this I'm not getting anywhere with this. <laughs> Time to change
0: course. Yeah, but she uh, she feeds it the stones to which it vomits out its insides yeah, yeah. and deflates. Like, it turns inside out, basically. Well, like, s- some frogs and
1: toads can vomit up their insides as a defense mechanism.
0: I don't think that's what this is doing. No, no, <laughs> it's very much not. <laughs> but uh, she she procures the golden key from stuck to the inner lining of this toad. It, it vomits up its guts, which looks an awful lot like the blob. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, she touches it and doesn't dissolve, so that's good. And returns outside. She's she's absolutely covered in mud, and she finds... And that, frog goop. And frog goop. And she finds that her dress is blown into the mud, and she's going to be in trouble. Uh-huh. Um, so later that evening, we find that, you know, we, we cut to their uh, this dinner party where Vidal is explaining to the rest of the people there that uh, basically he's reducing rations for the yeah. town because he doesn't want people to be giving any to the rebels. Um. And he also reveals what he found in at the camp. He reveals the little vial of, um, of, uh, antibiotics. So the doctor is who's in attendance like, oh, oh shit, you know, yeah. that that was a close one. Hopefully he doesn't put two and two together. Um, Videl has
1: a hard time connecting different dots, and is more just angry. And he just kind of assumes that his first conclusion is always the right one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we don't, like, (laughs) there's no ever... There's, there's very few times where his claims are proven later on. Right. Other than, like, the rebels are nearby still.
1: Yeah. At the camp. And then, and then they're, than, like, not that far away. They're just, like, behind some trees next yeah, to him. Yeah,
0: right? <laughs> but, like, we don't know how long it's been since they've been there. I mean, clearly, yeah. less than 20 minutes. It's like, well, yeah, the, the smoke is, like, it's still smoldering. It's probably not yeah. been a huge amount of time. He just
1: wanted to, like, seem smart <laughs> in front of his his, his men. It was yeah. just like, yeah, look at us. I know things. I'm a smart captain. He's just kind of an evil fuck,
0: more than yeah, anything. Yeah, <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, of course, Mercedes goes out to signal to the rebels um, something. We don't really know don't, what. Yeah. But uh, she's interrupted because she sees Ophelia coming up. Um, Looking like a drowned rat. Yeah. So Ophelia gets scorned by her, uh, well, gets gets yelled at by her mother mm-hmm. and is likely going to be scorned by her father. like Her stepfather. Her stepfather, yeah, yeah by Vidal. Uh, basically, like her mother is like, your father is going, it, this hurts me, but this is going to hurt your father more. And Ophelia almost seems pleased to hear yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you mean the captain. That's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but she is sent to bed without dinner. Yeah. Which, honestly, to me, is a very important aspect of this, of what happens. Yes. But yeah, I don't think a lot of people uh, kind of latch on that idea. No, no. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's an important thing. It very much is. Yeah, so. yeah. But the bug returns that night and takes her back to the labyrinth where the fawn tells her to keep the key because she'll need it. Right. And he gives her some chalk. Um, and she starts to distrust him a little bit. Doesn't really come back, but she she does like start to wonder why she's trusting this fawn. Uh-huh. Um, and in the morning she asks the book what to do next, but it starts to bleed. It bleeds over <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say, it doesn't just bleed, it forms the shape like the very distinct shape of ovaries and blood just goops everywhere. Yep. Um, and she turns around and finds out that her, her mother is just having just a just a real bad time.
1: Yeah, it it looks originally like she miscarried or mm-hmm. something. Um, it turns out that's not the case.
0: Right. But that's what I that's what I thought every yeah, single yeah. time. So even um,
1: even though I know exactly how this movie plays out, it's like, oh okay, that's what they're suggesting. Yeah, but it's not. No.
0: But she's she's having a rough time. Um, and, uh, Vidal instructs the doctor to do whatever it takes to help her. It doesn't matter. That night, or like later on, uh, Mercedes is comforting, uh, Ophelia, and Ophelia kind of lets her know that she knows. Like, Ophelia lets on to Mercedes that Ophelia knows that Mercedes is with the rebels. Right. Um, and we get a we get a moment where we really learn that mercedes and ophelia are really starting to bond quite a bit mm-hmm. um, ophelia doesn't want anything bad to happen to mercedes and and vice versa um, but that night mercedes and the doctor sneak out to go meet with the rebels and this is where we officially learn that mercedes's brother is in the rebels' uh, padra yeah own. yeah um, and the doctor meets with the uh, this wounded soldier um, and Basically, they have to amputate his leg in a really gruesome, rough scene. Uh, but while that's happening, the fawn visits Ophelia in her bedroom and berates her for not doing the second task yet. Um, and uh, she explains, you know, it's because my mother is having these issues. So mm-hmm. in response, he gives her a mandrake root, instructs her to place it under her uh, under the mother's bed in a bowl of fresh milk and to give it two drops of blood each morning. And this, like, he, he doesn't really explain that it'll do anything or he just what says that'll to do. do. He it. just says yeah. to do it, but um, it's it's implied that yeah, this will help your mother. Uh, and then he also gives her his fairies. He's got this little like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, Bag he hands of fairies. Up, yeah, he hands over the three fairies in an hourglass, and tells her that this will also help her in the second task, and it is very dangerous. Um, and he exp- he kind of tells her that where she's going, she's going to see a huge banquet that looks very appetizing, but she is not to eat yeah. or drink anything from it. Um, and then after he leaves, the book finally gives her the, the actual instructions, which is to draw a door um, with the chalk in her room. And and as soon as the door opens, she's to start the, the hourglass and follow the fairies. Mm-hmm. And she needs to leave before the hourglass finishes. And it also, again, mentions this. Do not eat or drink anything. Yeah. So. Very clear instructions. But she goes inside and she meets uh, the most iconic portion yeah. of this movie. Even more than the
1: fawn, I would yeah. say. Like, yeah. I heard this guy I have seen everywhere.
0: Like, well, he's It's a lot more striking of a, a visual yeah. creature. I mean, you get you get the fawn who is he was a really cool design, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily something he's new.
1: A, he's a satyr. He's a fawn. We've seen that yeah. before. Whereas, he's really cool. And,
0: whereas yeah. the Pale Man is it's terrifying. He's terrifying, and he's <laughs> not something that people tend to see. Like, it's yeah. not a, this is not an, a recognizable figure, at least before this movie. Yeah. Um, but, like, I mean, I remember on one of the old, like, Halloween
1: episodes of Homestar Runner, like, one of the characters was dressed as the Pale Man. And it's like, <laughs> okay, yeah, that's kind of inundated the pop culture uh, zeitgeist right now. Like, I,
0: yeah, I see that. <laughs> He is he's very much the... He is... When you when you tell people Pan's Labyrinth, this is what people tend to uh-huh. think about. Um, and his design is an allusion to the perverted image of Stigmata. Like, there's a lot going on with his design. Mm-hmm. But that's that's the the whole, like, the eyes and the hands thing. That's, uh-huh. that's what Del Toro was kind of going for initially. Uh-huh. Um, but the Pale Man is sitting before this massive banquet of really delicious-looking food. Mm-hmm. Um, and his eyes are sitting on a tray in front of him. He's got, you know, in case you don't know, he's got no eyes on his face. He's got no eye holes. Yeah, he's, like,
1: he's thin, but he's got skin. Like, at one time, he was very overweight. Yeah. And he's got incredibly skeletal legs and long Skin flaps and, Yeah,
0: skin flaps hanging down. And yeah. Real real long fingers. Yeah. Um, He's got this face that looks like somebody took like took to grab the back of his head and stretched it. Yeah. Um, no eyes, just a nose and a mouth. Uh, and like slits for a nose. Slits like. for a nose, which is what D- uh, Doug Jones was looking through in order to see yeah, what was yeah. going on. <laughs> um, but uh, Ophelia looks around, and the the <laughs> this banquet hall's decor depicts various like paintings of him killing and devouring children. Yeah. Um, so while well, you hear the children screaming in the background yep um, she lets the fairies out and they lead her to another Resident Evil puzzle of uh, uh-huh. three keyholes and she uses the golden key to retru- to open one of them I'm not really sure I don't know what her logic was because like the fairies
1: like, pointing at one and she's like no not that one this one and she does a different one and that's the right one yeah I like,
0: don't I... I... there's something lost this there, wasn't but...
1: like a, a cup of a carpenter situation <laughs> like as far
0: as I know she didn't get any clues to which one was right yeah I didn't even know there was a wrong one. Yeah, (laughs) like, but or a right one. But she opens she opens the one the fairies are not pointing to, and inside is a golden dagger. Mm -hmm. And on the way out, she's tempted by the food since she didn't get dinner. Yeah, you know, again, a lot of people are like, "Oh, you know, she's too stupid to live," but no, No. like this poor girl is probably very hungry, and yes, the food is very like tempting, and it's probably magically tempting. (laughs) It's casting a charm spell on her. Um and she fails her wisdom saving throw and grabs a grape and eats it. Yep. And this wakes the pale
1: man up. He starts tapping his claws on the table, grabs his eyes, shoves them into
0: his hand, and he's off to the races. Yep. Uh the uh the fairies try to stop him as he chases after Ophelia, but he ends up catching two of them and bites their heads off yeah. and eats them.
1: Yeah, it's a lot. Yep. Um in the credits, uh, the, the two stick insects are credited as uh, Cheech and Chong, after which it says, May they rest in peace. <laughs> oh, shit, man.
0: He chases Ophelia, and she runs down the hallway to the door, but the hourglass runs out and the door closes, uh, so she has to quickly draw a new door, and she only barely escapes.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, uh, the next day, the doctor tries to convince Pedro to flee the country with Mercedes, but he refuses and Mercedes gives her brother the copy of the supply shed key. That's not supposed to exist. Because oh, no. She did a fibber. She lied. <laughs> to the fascists? Prot- protagonists don't lie. <laughs> they do to fascists. <laughs> then we also see Ophelia doing what she was instructed with the mandrake root. Um, and as soon as she puts it in this bowl of milk, it begins to writhe like a baby. Yeah, it's... It's very creepy. It's awful. Don't care for it. Yep. And it immediately seems to have an effect on Carmen, and the doctor is relieved to find that her fever is a being. Right. But Vidal is not as optimistic. Well, it's, I, it's like less that he's not optimistic, it's more like he doesn't want her around once she has the sun. Well, he... he like, because the, the doctor tells him, like, oh, the, the fever is reduced, and Vidal's like, but it's not broken. Right. And he's like, well, no, but it's better. She's... Yeah, she's on the upswing. Yeah. But, um, and then Vidal tells him that, like, if push comes to shove, he is to save the baby, not the mother. Right. And, of course, Ophelia overhears this, so. And she has a very heart-wrenching scene of begging her unborn brother not to harm her mother when he's mm-hmm. born but a series of explosions on a railroad draw Vidal and his so- soldiers away. Um, and you may notice that like the explosions don't look good in this movie. Yeah, they look like cartoons. They look like cartoons because they are cartoons. Oh, okay. Um, and it's because the, uh, they, they were added digitally later because the forested region where the movie was filmed was experiencing a severe drought at the time. That would make it hard to like light fires. <laughs> yeah, say, yeah, so they're like, we don't want to burn this forest down. Yeah. We'll just do it in post. <laughs> yeah. But yeah the, the rebels blew up the engine of a train. They didn't steal anything from the cargo because they're not apparently very good at trying to hide what they're going to do. Then again, it didn't matter because then they start blowing up the uh, the mill. Right. Um, and this is the only part of the movie that I kind of have a problem with. It's like they have grenades and explosions and they're definitely not afraid to use them and mm-hmm. don't care about who they hurt. And yet they still just open up the supply shed in order to get in there instead of blowing it up. So to, to basically like leave the trail behind. I don't know. Somebody wasn't thinking. It, it would have... if. They were. If their entire purpose was to seal
1: those supplies, it would have been better to go in under the cover of night and, like, not cause a big mess. Just, like, yeah, like knife the two guys guarding the place, open it up, take your tobacco and cheese, and
0: leave. <laughs> but no, instead they're going to explode everything. Yeah, uh, which calmly... I get,
1: I mean, yeah. if you have the capability.
0: No, I'm with them, I'm with them, <laughs> but, but they explode everything, but then they calmly open the padlock... Get right. inside, take what they need, and leave it open so that Vidal knows that they yeah, used to keep. Yeah, he knows exactly what happened. But in the ensuing fight, because the rebels didn't get very far after this. No. Um, they, the uh, Vidal, the fascists capture, or they, they go in and they kill a bunch of uh, a bunch of the rebels and then they capture one of them alive whose name is uh, El Tata. Um, and El Tata has a real bad stutter and Vidal locks him in the supply shed uh, and explains how he's going to torture information out of him, but he promises that if he can count to three without stuttering, he'll let him go. Altharta counts to two before failing.
1: And it's heart-wrenching.
0: It's a rough scene. After torturing him, they bring the doctor in to kind of help him up a little bit, uh, with the intention of, like, you know, fix him so that I can hurt him more. Yeah. Um, and we learn... Like,
1: when you see his hand, that's yeah. what got me.
0: It's bad. It's, it's... bad. So, it's like a glove full of broken bone bits. Pretty much. It's this, this poor man. <laughs> and he tells the doctor that, you know, he, he couldn't keep it in. He told them everything they wanted to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then begs the doctor to kill him. And at this point, the doctor decides that, like, he's had enough. He can't, he can't yeah. carry on with this anymore. Um, so he euthanizes Altarta. Um, and Vidal also notices around the time that the doctor has the same type of vial that he found in the woods. Mm-hmm. The same uh, ampule. Mm-hmm. He confronts the doctor for disobeying and killing El Tate, but uh, the doctor explains that he can't obey for the sake of obeying. And That's
1: what men like Vidal do.
0: <laughs> yeah. Which then... is, <laughs> that's a hell of a line. Right. Um, and so Vidal, of course, shoots him. Shoots him in the back while he's mm-hmm. walking away. Yep. That night, though the uh, the fawn visits ophelia again and yells at her for eating the grapes and mm-hmm. basically says that she's failed the test she'll never be able to return to the underworld and she will die immortal and so will him and everything all yeah. of the other and magic. he's never
1: he's never going to see them again because magic will be dead in this world yeah and it's
0: her fault <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh he, he's a little harsh on her um well, she did eat two whole grapes she Matt. ate I two mean... whole grapes after having no dinner And um, Vidal catches Ophelia underneath the bed while she's trying to feed the mandrake root. And uh, he he starts to berate her, but her mother wakes up and stops him. And she takes over, kind of yelling at Ophelia about believing in the magic. And she ends up throwing the mandrake into the fire. And as it's burning, she goes into labor and dies giving birth. Yep.
1: Partially because, uh, you know, Vidal just shot the doctor on sight. Yep, They have to get a field medic from the the battalion to come and, like, deliver the baby. And, like, I'm sure he's great at, like, patching up soldiers and stuff like that.
0: This is a little different. Yeah, yeah. He's probably (laughs) not really equipped or or trained to do, handle this type of situation. At this time, Vidal begins suspecting Mercedes as, you know, the the whole key thing and everything else there. Um, And Mercedes decides, well, time to leave. Yeah, it's um, time to get out of Dodge. Yeah, she she tells Ophelia that she's leaving, and Ophelia begs to go with her, mm-hmm. and she ends up getting you know giving in. But while they're escaping, they are caught by Vidal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he sends Ophelia back to her room and orders the guards to kill her if anybody tries to break in. And then he goes to torture Mercedes. Yeah, who uh, you know, they've got tied up in the storage shed again. It, um, this is a little different than that poor wounded soldier from earlier, right? right. Like... Yeah, you. The, the, the theme is supposed to be that, that Vidal, while he relies on Mercedes, he does not respect her, nor yeah. does he think much of her. Gee, um, men
1: in positions of power who don't respect the women under them? That's not a reoccurring theme in <laughs> Del Toro's movies.
0: And, but of course, Vidal... And just like in some of the other Del yep, Toro yep. movies, he underestimates her. And while his back is turned, she cuts herself loose with a knife that she keeps in her apron
1: and goes and to town on him. She she
0: stabs him in the back and the chest and the arm, and then uh, slices like gives him a, a Glasgow smile. Yeah, she cuts open his cheek uh, before escaping into the woods. Yeah,
1: but she doesn't do like the most important thing, which is finish the job. No.
0: Well, she she <laughs> I think she was. Intended, like, she intentionally left him alive because she wanted him to remember that she bested him. Yeah. She's I, like, no, you are trash. And I get that, but still a bad idea. Yeah. And it, it doesn't. Yeah. But, um, she, uh, she runs into the forest and the soldiers quickly catch up to her on horseback. Uh, she threatens to kill herself before the rebels come and save her. Now, um,. <laughs> This, I was reading this list that you
1: copied. This is hilarious because <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah.
0: So on the DVD commentary for the film, um, Del Toro has a has a line, and I actually I found it on YouTube. Oh, I'm did was, you? I'm nice. Splice it Yeah, in yeah. It's definitely put that in hilarious.
3: Here. The shot where she's running in front of the horses right here is she's a stunt double, Maribel. When the camera loses her, Maribel escapes out of frame, and then the double takes over. And here this shot was the first shot of the actual. Uh, horses behind the the actress herself and i'm glad it was the first shot with her because after the way those horses behaved during the shoot i wouldn't have never put her in front of those horses they were the nastiest i i never liked horses but after this scene i hate them i hate them they're nasty animals and i hate cows cows are evil cows are absolutely evil i tell you that they look like inoffensive um, They're perverted creatures, and and so are horses. They are absolutely nasty motherfuckers. And this little guy uh, who's playing Garcia's, he almost got his pelvis crushed by one of the horses that stomped his ass, and he could barely escape with his life. And uh, these were not memorable days, I tell you that. I, I, I really don't look forward to shooting a Western, although I might. I, I Think of me when you're watching it. I think the poor fat bastard must have suffered a lot. And I like this cut. I like I like the, the coming cut because, of course, this is the double now. She's not the real actress. And then here, with the horse getting up, I go back to the to Mercedes, you know? Because I didn't want to put her in front of those nasty, psychopathic fucking animals.
1: <laughs> I agree with Del Toro. What can I say? They, they're... It's... Weird, like nearly psychotic animals that walk
0: around on their fingers. Like
1: <laughs> I don't care for that.
0: I, I yeah, I read that and I was just like, Oh, Chris, Chris yeah. has something else to connect with Del Toro on. Yeah. I didn't realize he also hated cows that much too. Like Cows like cows are good for eatins. <laughs> but they fart too much. But um anyway. Uh later the Fawn returns to Ophelia, deciding to give her another chance. Um, and he tells her to bring her brother to the labyrinth. hmm Um we, we see, uh like, he gives her, tells her that because the door is usually locked, she'll have to make her own door with some chalk. Yeah.
1: And this is where the lines of whether, like, this is actually a magical story or if it's a story that Ophelia is telling herself, like, begin to blur. Yeah. Because if it's a story that Ophelia is telling herself, how the fuck she get out of that room? So is the magic
0: actually happening? Because that definitely throws the ending of this movie into it. It, start, it makes you start to question because yeah. yeah, you're right. Up until this point, it very much is like oh, this is all inside of her head, right? Um, and, or it's and, a story and, she's telling herself, yeah, like a escape story she's from telling. this awful situation she found herself, right, in. right. And uh, and and you even get more more of that throughout the rest of the movie, and it's never definitively said one way or another, yeah, which yeah. is awesome, yeah. But um, we see Vidal sewing up his own lip. <laughs> um while Ophelia sneaks into his room and to it, steal yeah, away and her brother. Yeah, and taking
1: swigs of, like, whiskey while oh, he's doing it. God. And, th- like, that scene where he takes a sip of... of- Alcohol and the the tissue over his wound just goes blarp and turns bright red, just like oh god, yeah, <laughs> that's horrifying. Ugh. That's gruesome imagery. He,
0: yeah, he doesn't react in the way I think I probably would. Yeah, <laughs> which would probably involve a lot more crying for both of us—crying, screaming, cursing. <laughs> he just goes. Rrr. Then again, to be fair, then again, I wouldn't have made it to this point. Like, if my cheek got cut open, I'd just be like, "Well, I'm dying now. <laughs> I'm <laughs> I am passing through this mortal coil. Yeah. I'm
1: dead." I would also not put myself in a situation where I would have a woman tied up and she wanted to stab me.
0: It's true, yeah. I'm not a fascist, so I don't know. (laughs) But anyway, but after he leaves, uh, Ophelia drugs his drink Mm -hmm. and absconds with her little brother. But before she can make it back, he returns and takes a drink.
1: Yeah, and like first he's like, oh, this tastes kind of funny. And then he's like, oh, no, that's just the gaping wound in my cheek giving me issues.
0: (laughs) Um, but almost immediately, there's an explosion, and he turns and sees Ophelia leaving. So he, he gets woozy and groggy, but he begins chasing after her as the rebels begin attacking the mill. Mm-hmm. Um, Vidal chases Ophelia through the labyrinth and uh, eventually makes it to the center, And the fawn tells Ophelia that what she needs to do, what they need to do, he he produces the the golden dagger and he's like, we need a pinprick of blood from the boy to open the portal because the blood of an innocent needs to be spilled on the portal in order for it to open. Mm -hmm. And at this point, Ophelia refuses and they argue until Vidal uh, also makes it there. Yeah. And he sees her speaking to nothing. So it's again one of those like, okay, this is clearly all in her head. But, um... He takes the boy and shoots Ophelia in the gut. Yep. And she falls down next to the pit. Uh, Vidal leaves the labyrinth to find that the rebels are waiting for him. They mm-hmm. have won. And he... he. This is such a, a scene. It, it's, a, it's, a, <laughs> like, it's the best scene in the movie. This is so much scene. everything. <laughs> yeah, he... You can tell he he realizes he's defeated. He knows there's only one way through out of this. So he presents his son to Mercedes and requests that they tell his son that like the time that the the time time when he died he yeah. pulls out his pocket watch and you can tell he's trying to mirror his his father his, his father mm-hmm. but M- mercedes interrupts him and she tells him <laughs> no this boy won't even know your name and then pedro shoots him in the head and it's it, just like shoots him uh, in the cheek oh yeah it shoots him cuz like she, it's very yeah there's just a
1: little <laughs> hole there and then you see his eyes filling up with blood and he just crumples. yeah it's, it's like it's, yeah. It's such a good scene,
0: though. It is. It's just, ugh. Oh. Um, but then they find Ophelia's body, and her blood is dripping down into the pit. And uh, we get the this point where uh, it's, again, one of those, like, is this actually happening? Or is this the, the final thoughts of a dying girl? Right. As she rises from uh from her late her radiant like
1: spectral self and she's wearing a golden outfit yep. and
0: yep. and her her the king the king of the underworld's voice um explains that uh that the final task was actually for her to spill her own blood on yeah. the portal and and, she,
1: and the fawn is there and all three fairies are there Yeah, everybody's
0: there um and it's one of those like oh she's going to live on happily but then yeah. we also see Ophelia's body in the real world yeah. and Mercedes is crying over it and a voiceover tells us that um, that she returned to her kingdom and lived many centuries, many centuries. and was totally loved by yep.
1: her subjects. And... But
0: then we also see the fig tree, the dead fig tree and uh-huh. there's a blossom blooming on it.
1: And then we, we see the same bug from the start of the movie get on and like sniff so, the, the flower. Yep. Here's the thing. This is a labyrinth. There's one way through a labyrinth. Ophelia didn't take it.
0: Oh. Okay.
1: She. Like the last thing she had to, she messed up once with the pale man. Right. Uh, and the second time she was supposed to sacrifice her brother. Right. She didn't. Okay. She's dead.
0: You think? So uh, that's yeah. that's what you're. Trying- even
1: if even if the magical stuff is real, she's dead. She didn't. There's one way through a labyrinth.
0: That's a that's a grim interpretation of this yeah. movie. It's a grim movie. <laughs> well, it is a grim movie, but it's it's a very But it, there's a yeah. lot of different
1: interpretations you can have of this ending. Like
2: mm-hmm.
0: I'm not no.
1: saying mine's the correct one. But that's that is yours. Well, yeah, because like like I said, it's a labyrinth. There's yeah. only one way through a labyrinth. It's not a maze.
0: That's that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, cool stuff. Um, so yeah, that was uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Um, great movie, but you all know that already. Yeah. So um, we're gonna go ahead and cut over to the crunch. I'm sorry, it's gonna be a shorter one. Oh, is it? Oh okay, yeah. that's fine. Well, well, we'll get to it. This so. isn't really a movie where you can
1: crunch the monsters. Yeah, it, so I mean, I speak. have a
0: thought process, and I'll walk you through it when we get when we get here. But uh, we're gonna go ahead and cut to some music, and uh, we will see you in a bit. Let's try So welcome back. Uh, We are going to jump into this crunch. As I mentioned, it's probably going to be a little bit of a shorter one because uh, this movie is a little bit trickier than some of our other uh, Creature Crunch movies. So there's a lot of, like, creatures in this movie. There's actually a lot of things you can do, but not necessarily in the terms of just straight stat block for D&D. Yeah, I mean, because you
1: reach that problem again where it's like if you make it a stat block, it's it's there for fighting. Yeah, and it's there
0: for fighting, and it's killable. Right. Which to me... um, Without exception, all of the fairy tale creatures in this uh-huh. movie, even the frog, like, they're not meant to die. They're, yeah. they're meant to serve the story or be... They're, they're at best obstacles, or at worst obstacles, mm-hmm. and
1: so more just things to
0: interact with. Right. So, I had a little bit of a trickier one with this one, but I managed... I, I pulled something together. Okay. So, um, also, uh, I think that, uh, like we were talking about... When you think Pan's Labyrinth, most people conjure the image of the Pale Man. Right. But I didn't want to do the Pale Man as a stat block. Okay. I wanted to do something different, because the Pale Man is in the movie for, like, five minutes. Yeah, he is not, like, a big... He's, like, the most impactful thing of the
1: movie, and he's probably, like, the the thing you're going to remember the most out of it, but he's in it for one scene. Yeah. He's not the... He is not Pan's Labyrinth. No, he's not the... Like... If you didn't watch this movie and you just watched everything that came out of it, you would think that the Pale Man is the antagonist. Uh-huh. And, like, Ophelia is always going to be, like, dealing with him and, like, tricking around him and stuff like that. And he's just in there for that one scene, and
0: right. most of that scene, he's perfectly motionless. Right. <laughs> um, so, of course, we could go with the idea of let's let's make a stat block for the antagonist, but then we would just have fascist. Yeah. And that's not a fun stat block. Yeah. <laughs> No, as fun as it would be to murder them,
1: yeah. In D anD D, there's but enough thugs and right. bandits and shit like that that so, you can have be your fascist.
0: So what I did is I took the Fawn. The Fawn is, okay. I mean, the movie is named after the Fawn yeah. in most countries, and falsely named after the Fawn in yeah, named some after other some countries. other dude that people <laughs> think is the Fawn. Yeah. in our country, <laughs> but uh, so that's who I decided to go with, and I named him Omkabo. Which is a okay. portmanteau of El Hombre Cabro, which is the man goat. Okay. So. Homkabo. Uh He is a... I went m- to Homkabo once. <laughs> you can go with that one. No, nowhere.
1: <laughs> just You just went there. I just went there. I was thinking of something, and then, like, my train of thought just completely derailed and, like, crashed and rolled off the road, and it's a whole big, like, 13-car pile-up right now. I'll call an ambulance. Don't. It's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We gotta get this wreck cleaned up, Chris. Not
1: till I leave the scene. Thank you. <laughs> you better start sprinting. <laughs> I'm not that fast. You know me. I got bum
0: legs. Um, so um combo here is a medium Fey who is law- uh, lawful neutral. Okay. Um, he's not. He doesn't really seem to have any kind of alignment as far as good or evil in the movie. Mm-hmm. But he does adhere to a set like st- strictly he follows set rules. Yeah, he follows rules. Mm-hmm. And of course, he's a Fey because. Yeah, yeah. Um, now I took the a lot of the stats from the Seder stat block and that copied ma- a lot of those sense. over. Um, his armor class is thirteen because I did increase his dexterity from the Seder. Okay. Uh, and his hit points, I made him a higher challenge rating, so he's got uh, an average of forty nine hit points. Um, speed to thirty feet. Uh, the Seder I gave him. Um, I gave him an increased wisdom score. For reasons that will become apparent here in a moment. Okay. But other than that, like his his stats aren't bad, but they aren't notable either. They're mm-hmm. they're kind of twelves to sixteens across the board. Uh, just like the satyr, he has skills, uh, skill proficiencies in perception, performance, and stealth. And then he has a passive perception of fifteen because of his high wisdom. But I did give him damage resistances to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks. I felt that that was pretty mm-hmm. apropos for a fae spiritual like a fairy tale creature um just like the satyr he knows common elvish and sylvan okay but he's got a challenge rating of one okay isn't that high no but you will see why okay so his abilities his his traits i gave him one that i call one of the forest the omkabo gains advantage on all stealth checks while in a wooded area okay it's i almost gave him like the the tree-like appearance that like treants have Uh but it's like he doesn't do that, but I mean, he can hide in plain sight, so I figured this was a good counterbalance. Um, Most fey creatures also have magical resistance, which is what I gave him as well. Um, But then I gave him the Undying trait. When reduced to zero hit points, the Ahamkabo vanishes in a wisp of smoke. It reforms in a random location in the Feywild, 1d10 days later with all its hit points. Okay, so you can't actually get... You cannot kill this guy. Period. Because to me he is more than just a creature he is mm-hmm. a legend he is a right he is a fairy tale incarnate but then i also gave him innate spellcasting um his innate spellcasting ability is wisdom which is why i increased mm-hmm. his wisdom and he can innately cast the following spells at will he can cast druidcraft guidance infestation and mold earth okay which i felt were um, all thematically appropriate from what we see in the right um so to kind of cover that you know druid craft that one's pretty simple Uh i based a lot of his spells off of druids yeah but guidance i figured that that would that that was totally um appropriate infestation we got bugs we do have bugs and then the mold earth labyrinth molding moving we see at one point the labyrinth actually changes for ophelia which Mm -hmm. actually might like lend a little bit more credence to your theory Mm mm-hmm but, um, and then three times a day, he can cast Animal Messenger. Okay. Charm Person. And Entangle. Okay. And then once a day, he, he can cast Pass Without Trace. Because we see him in places he shouldn't be. Right. Dispel Magic. And Summon Fae. That's a... <laughs> which I thought was also very appropriate. Yeah. And then for his actions, the only action I gave him... Was just a shorthand version of casting infestation. Okay. It just outlines him casting infestation. Okay. I wanted him to be an unkillable creature that was not really a threat. <laughs> like, he can do something to you if you threaten him. But he is here more for... To serve the story of whatever right. he, whatever he's in. Or to just help another creature. Because to me... These fairy tales are not meant to be fought, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean they don't have stats,
1: okay. so no, that, that tracks,
0: yeah, and I didn't feel I didn't feel right about like putting any of these monsters in a killable that, sense. yeah, it feels weird doing that, especially right. with a movie like this, right. And that's why I gave him that undying trait. And yeah, and of course, if you give some if you create a monster that cannot be killed, like a uh-huh. leprechaun, for example. Uh-huh. You can't make it super threatening and dangerous, because that'll just, that just becomes boring. Um, unless that's, what you, I don't know, to to an extent. But to me, this, I don't know, I, I feel like I got the balance that uh-huh. I needed No, here, I think you got it. And I, I really wanted to encapsulate that kind of mysticism and wonderment that comes with this guy. No, I think he
1: nailed it myself. So,
0: um, so yeah, like I said, kind of a shorter one, mm-hmm. but... No, I think um, it serves its purpose well. I appreciate that because it, it it was tricky for me to do this one. Yeah, um, I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, and but I, I think I accomplished what I did. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so that's it. That's uh, that's our pan's labyrinth. Uh, so we got uh, male Toro continuing on next week. We sure do. Uh, and it's so, uh,
1: going to be my headlining week again. Yep. So I am doing uh, the original Hellboy, the first Hellboy movie. Yeah. Cool. Which kind of attracts my whole I do comic shit thing.
0: That does. That does. So That'll be a fun one. I think yep. that'll be a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, look forward to that. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. As always, we really do appreciate it. Um, if you want to contact us, uh, feel free to request a movie or just talk to us in whatever capacity. Uh, you can reach out to us creaturecrunchpodcast at gmail.com or you can tweet tweet at us um, at creaturecrunch on Twitter. Uh, Please join our Patreon, patreoncom Crunch, where we have bonus episodes. Uh, we've got our Critter Kibbles that we mm-hmm. cover extra things from the movies and and create more rules for uh, for things
1: that we see. Yeah, or are inspired by, or in some way related to whatever movie we watch that
0: week. Yep, and then we also have uh, early access uh, or at sneak peeks to other projects that we've got mm-hmm. going. Uh, Chris has one that I'm I'm really enjoying thus far. Yeah, uh, we've got two. Uh, uh, will the second episode be up The by second now? episode? Okay, yeah, we've got same.
1: two episodes of uh, Comics Crunch, which is a little like this but for weirdo comic shit. Uh, the first episode was on Spider Man's web shooters. The second one was on Man
0: Thing, and those were a lot of fun. I, I we had a blast with those. You get a we we talk about Chris gets to talk to me about comics for a little while, and then we create a rule set for these things. Uh, <laughs> we create a rule set for these things over the air. Um, kind of live. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fun. Yep. And then uh, if you want to check out any of the rules that we've made, uh, at least the officially published ones right now, or not officially published. Uh, the ones behind from not Yeah, not behind, behind the paywall. Right. Yeah, if you want to check out any of our stat blocks from, from uh, in front of the paywall, uh, you can do so. We got a description in the episode, link on our Twitter, uh, or you can find the stat blocks on D&D Beyond under my old... Uh, my older handle, um, which is the underscore best underscore disguise. And uh, Chris, anything else to add? No. All righty. Uh, you can also tweet at us individually. Chris, where can we find you?
1: Uh, you can find me at the library C, that's
0: C-E-E. And you can get a hold of me on Twitter at Danny underscore Hamstake. Sure can. And we will see you next week.
2: What are you